You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Lord, I thank you for um, your many, many blessings to us in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that no matter how many people gather in your name, a few, a many, uh, you are there with us. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your generosity to us. We thank you that the ladies, even though geographically are separated from us, they are not either relationally or spiritually, and that uh, your spirit is working in them and working in us, and I pray that we be united. So, Lord, as we look into your word and talk about uh, something that makes some people uncomfortable, um, uh, but yet it's so essential to who we are in our relationship with you and with each other, I pray that you give us wisdom, make it personal to those who need to make it personal and wrestling with things, and it may just it be a part of who we are and what we do as a church. We just thank you for your many, many blessings. In your name, amen. I'm going to begin today just asking you a question. It's, it's a, it's a, you do not need to answer. I just want you to think about it. Actually, a couple questions. What, what would happen if God treated you the way you treat other people? What would happen if God treated you the way you treat other people? Or, let's just be even more specific, because that's kind of like, okay, that's, that's pretty huge. More specific to the topic of today. What would happen if God forgave you the way that you forgive other people? What happened if, if God forgave you the way you forgive other people? Well, where would I come up with that? Why would I say something like that? Well, basically, in the Lord's Prayer, um, we have the, the, the outline of the Lord's Prayer, and mo- many of us know it. We can recite it, and we should, and we can use it as a framework for prayer, which we should. But sometimes we don't spend time in, those, in, in specific lines and dwell there. And, and in the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And then verse 12 in Matthew 6. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then he goes on into, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What, what does it look like for God to forgive us our debts, as Jesus said, as we also forgive our debtors? He, he, he specifically and directly connects two things. Our asking God for forgiveness and our giving forgiveness to other people. And Jesus said that this is a regular part of how we are to pray. We have been going through uh, this year a series, as we're going through two concurrently, we're going to unpacking pathways in the book of Ephesians at the same time. In the book of uh, Ephesians, we're trying to say this is how uh, Paul and the gospel affects the whole church and works, but it parallels what we're doing in the pathways discipleship process. And why do we do the pathways? It's, it's, it's the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Not, not just mean what does it mean to be a Christian, but what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ in our culture? Who is God? What has he done? which is the gospel, and who are we and what are we to do? And that's what we are to focus on. So the pathways, we have our diagram to remind you of it. Maybe not. Um, and the idea of the pathways is, is that, that there's the gospel in the center, and that gospel of who Christ is and what he's, who God is and what he's done for us changes our identity. 
And we've been spending the past three months uh, focusing on being servants of Christ. We looked at scripture, prayer, and worship. Now we're looking uh, the next three months on our identity as family. What does it mean to be family? In the language of the scripture of that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And even in the Lord's Prayer, we pray our Father. Plural, our Father. That's a relationship. That's family language. We pray to God as if it's in family. And the three aspects of, of being family we want to talk about is what families, both your biological family, your relational families, but also your uh, church family, your community, is that what components that is peacemaking, sharing, and celebrating. And, and we're going to focus on right now peacemaking, and ask, only a small aspect of peacemaking. What do we mean by peacemaking? It might not be a word that we use uh, very often in our culture, but peacemaking, we define it this way. It's resolving conflict, resolving conflict, extending and receiving forgiveness, Working towards reconciliation, that's getting people who are at odds with each other in conflict, get them then united. Pursuing, going after, what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. That's what we mean. And whether it's your family that you reside with or a church family, it is part of the gospel that we are peacemakers. We resolve conflict. Today I want to focus on one specific aspect of that, and that's giving and particularly receiving forgiveness, particularly giving forgiveness. Any way we want to work towards reconciliation, resolving conflict, whether it's in your marriage, your family, between co-workers, other students, whatever, you fill in the blank, whatever is this conflict, forgiveness at some point is going to have to pay a part. You can't have reconciliation. You can't, when there's conflict, you can't resolve it. You can't have where there's hostility bring peace with at some point somebody extending and others receiving forgiveness, particularly extending forgiveness. And that's why in this, this we want to focus on that. So let's look at verse 12 again of Matthew 6, that one line. Matthew 6, 12. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And what he's, he's saying here is that all, this is addressed to people who are praying to God as their fathers. So we assume they've already experienced God's forgiveness in Christ. They're praying, our Father. They have this relationship. And, he, and since he's their Father, they've already received that forgiveness of their sins from Christ. And, and he also noticed that he describes sin as debt. He doesn't say forgive us our sins. He says forgive us our debts. Uh, and the reason he uses this language is because a debt demands a payment. Debt demands a payment. That's what makes it a debt. Sin demands a payment. Justice requires, God's eternal justice requires that all sins have been paid for. There is a debt that's owed, particularly to God, and it must be paid for. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Asking forgiveness is a regular, consistent part of the prayer life. This is part of the Lord's Prayer. Part of the Lord's Prayer is every time we pray, we worship God, we ask Him to do things in our life and to move, and we always have this line, he's, Jesus is expecting. We don't have to necessarily use these exact words, but we always have to clean house and say, Lord, forgive me as I forgive. That's a regular part of how we pray. And notice also that's interesting, the, the, the phraseology here is that we're supposed to, and our requesting forgiveness of God presupposes that we have already given forgiveness to other people. Forgive us our debts as we have already forgiven other people. So he's assuming when we're coming to God and we're talking to God about our sin and our debt to him that we want to be forgiven of because of the blood of Christ, it, the phrase that Jesus uses is saying, we're coming because we have already resolved to forgive those who have harmed us. That's hard to do. In fact, in, after the Lord's Prayer, immediately after the Lord's Prayer, the next two verses, 
He doesn't expound on God being Father or the kingdom of heaven or daily bread. or He doesn't expound on any of those things, but he gives us two explanations on what it means to forgive. In verses 14 and 15, he says, this is right after the Lord's Prayer. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Also, also forgive you. Verse 15. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If you forgive, you'll be forgiven. But if you refuse to forgive, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. That's kind of some harsh harsh language, doesn't it? It's not, we don't expect that kind of thing to come from the, word, from the lips of Jesus, but that's who uttered those phrases. It's enough that he had to explain that one line in the prayer. He doesn't explain the other things. Is that true, that, that the persistent refusal to forgive other people makes it doubtful that we really have experienced the forgiveness of God? We need to understand that, that phrase isn't conditional. We get forgiveness if we earn it by forgiving. That's not what Jesus is saying, and we'll see that in a minute. What Jesus is saying is, if you refuse to forgive other people in your life who's harmed you, what you're actually demonstrating is you don't understand God's forgiveness of your sins in Christ. If you don't understand them and you have not received it, don't expect to receive that forgiveness. Really? I mean, is that really what this says? Is that, is that fair to put that in Jesus' mouth? Well, I think it is, and I'll demonstrate so. In Math, that's Matthew 6. In Matthew 18, a little while later... Jesus explains this in great depth. In Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20, um, um, he tells people that if, he's talking about a number of different things in the kingdom, and then he says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and alone. If he listens um, to you, you have been gained a brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every... Um, every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. We're not going to walk through that process. That's not the point. That's reconciliation. That's how you get, you get re- reunited with people. That's not my point here. But that issue of, hey, you, if somebody has something against you or uh, has sinned against you, you need to go. You who have been harmed have the responsibility to go to them and deal with it. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the essence of that. Positive, proactively and persistently, we need to seek to be reconciled to people who harm us. Well, if we go on to verse 21, and he goes into some other explanation, which we're not going to look to. But in verse 21, Peter reacts to what Jesus is saying. Peter's reacting, saying, eh, I'm not sure I get this. So in verse 21 through 22, he says this. Then Peter came up and said to him, speaking to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? That's a natural question. Jesus said, hey, if they sin against you, go get reconciled. Well, Peter asked the question to we ask, how, how many times are we supposed to do this? Um, as many as seven times? And then Jesus in verse 22 says, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Let's just pause here for a minute. What's, what's going on? Peter recognizes there's a significant barrier in getting reconciled with other people. When people hurt us, there's a significant barrier. They've hurt us. How many times... Uh, when we work for reconciliation restoration, uh, that forgiveness is necessary. R- Peter recognizes, Paul, Jesus is talking about getting reconciled with people, getting your relationship back together, and Peter jumps to forgiveness. Peter says, okay, I understand that, but how many times do I have to forgive them? Understands P- P- Peter's question? Peter wasn't just saying, let me work out the details of how to talk to them. He's saying, I- I'm having trouble forgiving them. And then Peter is 
And he understands that it's going to take frequency and repeatedly and probably with the same people. That's people Peter's saying. When that same person hurts me, how many times do I have to forgive them? And, and he talks about my brother. Jesus says, my brother. This is, a, this is family again. This is, we would say, believers. This is people in the household. And Peter's struggling, and he's actually very generous. He says seven times. There's a lot of speculation. Why does he pick seven? Um, the, he just... He picked seven. We're not told why. And he picked seven. And actually, just to be honest, I don't know if I could forgive. I would struggle. The same person does the same thing to me. Seven times am I supposed to forgive them? I think Peter is actually being generous. But Jesus, Jesus responds to him. And one of the things about, that is interesting about that is that, G, that Peter, when he talks about forgiveness, talks about how many times. In other words, Peter keeps score. Do, do we keep score? I, I think we keep score. Maybe you don't. But with, in a relationship, and we, we, we are scorekeepers naturally in relationships, and when people hurt us or do something to us, we naturally uh, remember that. We said this, and we use language like that. You always do this. You never do that. Yeah, you do this or he does this every time. That's scorekeeping language. That, that means that we're paying attention and we're balancing the scales of us against them. We're balancing the scales against positive and negative. We keep score. And that's what Peter's doing. Peter's saying, what, let's, let's keep a score, Jesus. What score should we go for? Seven? And Jesus says, not seven, but 77 or seven times seven. The phrase is, is basically so much you can't count, Peter. If you're trying to count, forget about it. And that's what Jesus is saying. And Jesus responds that, that with, with even greater generosity than Peter, that it's a number that we can't count. And Jesus knows that this is absurd. Jesus knows that his response to him, 70 times 7, I thought 7 was good, 70 times 7, really, Jesus? Come on. You're just exaggerating. You're just, you're just trying to make a point. Well, Jesus goes on to explain it. Verses 23 um, through 35, Peter, uh, Jesus explains why he says you must forgive that, that generously. In verse 23, he says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Notice it begins with therefore. Jesus has just said you need to forgive 70 times 7. Therefore, okay, I, want you to, I know you're struggling with this, guys. Here, I want you to listen to this. Therefore, and he says the kingdom of heaven. He connects this parable he's about to tell with the previous statement about forgiveness. And he's a comparison here. The comparison in the parable is about the kingdom of heaven. It's about the king. This is what the kingdom of heaven is. And the truth of the kingdom of heaven is there's a king, and, and we're not him. And the king is going to return, and he's going to give an account. He's going to, he's going to have um, an accounting, what we would call it a day of judgment, where people are going to have to pay for their debts. And this is coming. That's what Jesus is saying. It's part of the message of the gospel. And then he goes on to explain. So that's the context of this parable. He goes on to say in verse 24, this is the king. He says, And when he began to settle, one was brought before him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, we, we don't speak in talents. We think of skills. We think of natural abilities. That's not what it is. This is a monetary unit. And, and the best I can get is a, a talent is worth 20 years' wages. A talent is worth 20 years of ages. A couple places I read, they all said the same thing. That means this is, there's 10,000 talents. That means basically I need 200,000 years of wages. I don't know about you, but that's a lot of money. 
In fact, in, in, in the Greek, it's just nonsensical. It's like us saying, you owe me a gazillion dollars. Okay? Well, what is a gazillion? Uh, did anybody ever count a gazillion? Is there a, a digit for a gazillion? I don't know. But that's what he's saying here. The, Jesus is saying in a parable, this guy owes a ton. He will never, ever, ever pay it back. If it took him 200,000 years, he would still not pay it back. That's how much, how does he get that kind of debt? I don't know. But that's not the point. He is that kind of thing. There's no waking back. Basically, this guy is in a hopeless condition. He's hopeless. He's done. Then it goes on. He says in verse 25, And since he could not pay, the master ordered him to be sold with his family and his wife and his children and all that he had to payment be made. So the master said, Okay, I'm still demanding payment. I'll, I'll sell everything you, anything in your name, your family, everything, just so I get something back. It won't, be, it won't even be close to be enough, but I'll, I'll do, that's what I'll do to get my money back. And we see in verse 26, the, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him. There's, there's an intense motion and panic here. Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. Really? Have patience with me. I will repay you everything? His statement is absurd. Is he going to pay off 200,000 years of debt? No. And, and what does he ask for? He asks for more time. He asks for more time. Be patient with me, and, and I'll get it done. This guy either doesn't understand, or he's so hopeless that he's just throwing something out there to get a bone so that he can get something from the, from the master. Do we ever make these kind of deals with God? Do we ever make ludicrous deals with God? And say, God, you know, I'll do it different next time. Just, just get me out of this this time. I'll do it differently. Lord, just, just, and we ask, just give me more time and I'll make up the difference. I'll, I'll pay it back, God, relationally with you or somebody else. I'll make it right. I just need more time. I'll do better. I just need another chance. And that's what the man's asking for. And then we read in verse 27 the master's response. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. Out of pity for him, the master forgave him his debt. We see here, first of all, the master's motivation. Out of pity for him. Out of mercy for this guy. It's not because he believed the servant could ever pay him back. It's not because he thought the servant was deserving of this. It's out of pity, out of mercy, out of grace, the master forgave his debt. And notice particularly that the servant did not get his request. Did he? What did the servant ask for? More time. What did he get? A canceled debt. He he got all time. The master removed the entire debt. The master absorbed the cost of that debt on himself. Somebody's got to pay. So the master essentially is paying himself. The master cancels the debt. There is no debt anymore out of his generosity. That, that is tremendous truth of the gospel. We, we think we just need more time. We think, just give me more time, God, to get my act together. And God says, no, <laughs> I'm not going to give you more time. What I'm going to do is cancel your debt. What I'm going to do is send my son to die for your sins so that there is no debt for you to worry about. 
And when you screw up down the line, got it covered. You're not making more and more debt. It's already been paid for. That's the generosity of the gospel. That's the generosity of the king. When he looks, he doesn't just give us more time. He cancels the debt. And a debt that we can never pay. But then there's a twist in the story. Jesus continued. If he stopped there, we'd go, this is awesome, that's great. But Jesus, the story's not over. The parable's not over. Jesus, verse 28, he goes on. But, notice how verse 28 starts with a but. That was awesome. But, in contrast, something else happened. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants and owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So he's explicit in the language here, the same servant. So we don't get confused that maybe this is a different servant. That same servant who just got forgiven all that debt goes out and finds somebody who owes him a little debt. A hundred denarii is approximately a hundred days wage. A hundred days wage. It's a lot of money, but it's doable. It's doable. Somebody can pay off a hundred days wage. And he goes out and finds a fellow servant Not somebody who serves him, but somebody who's a peer of his. And he goes out and he finds him and he wants him. And notice the violence of his response. Notice the violence of his response. Noticing he seizes him, he grabs him, and he chokes him, demanding payment. Verse 29, his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will repay you. The second servant's plea is the same as his plea was to the king. I'll I'll pay it back. The difference is, this second servant actually could pay it back. He actually could meet his obligations. It's reasonable. Not the first servant. And then he goes on in verse 30. He says, he, the first servant, refused and went and put him in prison until he could pay off the debt. Notice the response of the first servant. He refused. He refused. It wasn't that he wasn't able to forgive or let it go. He refused to let it go. He chose to take an action to get the payment. He doesn't cancel the debt. He doesn't even give the guy more time is what he asked for. He didn't even give the guy. He didn't have patience to give the guy more time. He wanted the money and he wanted it now. He wanted payment and he wanted it now. And, it was, and, and again, it's not that he was unable to do so. He was unwilling to do so. The parable continues. Verse 31. When his fellow servants saw that he had, uh, taken, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. You think? He, they were greatly distressed. And they went out and reported to their master all that had taken place. The inconsistency of this man's actions got everybody's attention, and they told the master. They knew injustice had happened. In verse 32, Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all your debt because you pleaded with me, and, sh- <clears throat> and should, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? This rhetorical question, and it is a rhetorical question, by the way, the, the answer is obviously yes, and that is the point of the parable. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant 
as I also had mercy on you? And to, obviously to everybody, the answer is yes. What's Jesus' point of that? We demonstrate that we have received forgiveness by giving forgiveness. We demonstrate that we have received mercy from God when we give mercy to other people. Should we not give the mercy that we receive to others? Should we not give the forgiveness we receive from God to others? When he forgives us such a huge indebtedness, and in comparison, it's not belittling the harm that people do to us, but in comparison, it's very small. Should we not pass it on? And the obvious answer is yes. And yet that is what we struggle with. We struggle with that very point. Even though we answer yes to that question, the question is, do our actions, how we actually live our lives, demonstrate what Jesus is saying? Okay, well, maybe we're supposed to do that. What's, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Well, Jesus goes on and explains that this isn't a little thing. He's not done with the parable yet. He goes on in verses 34 and 35. He says, And in, and in anger the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Which is when? Never. In verse 35, Jesus now gives him the punchline. The point is you should forgive as you've been forgiven. Now, why is this such a big deal? Verse 35, Jesus tells us, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Who are we in the parable? We're the first servant. And Jesus is connecting that, saying, to every one of you, don't be like the first servant. Or you'll get what the first servant got, is what he's saying. From your heart, forgive from your heart. Not superficially, not just, not just pretending, yeah, yeah, it's okay, don't worry about it. Inside, though, in your heart, you're still bitter, you're still angry, you're still seething. That's not, that doesn't count. Not, not contacting, not talking to the person, just ignoring the person doesn't count. That's not forgiveness. Refusal to forgive demonstrates that a person really has not understood God's forgiveness. That's what Jesus is saying. And the cost is tremendous. If you don't understand God's forgiveness, if you have not responded to God's forgiveness, then what you have looked forward to is eternal judgment. That's the seriousness of forgiving other people. That's what Jesus is saying. Again. Again. And that's what this whole lengthy parable is about. It's about the kingdom of heaven. And the king settles accounts. And forgiveness is going to be a key indicator on how those accounts are settled. Let's go back to Matthew 6, to prayer. That's probably why Jesus included that in the Lord's Prayer. That every time, this is a model of prayer. You don't have to just recite it, but it is a framework. It's a model. We should regularly pray through and and use the Lord's Prayer as a model, a framework for our prayers. So every time we pray, or most of the time we pray, regularly, consistently, we should be saying, Lord, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. That should be in front of us all the time. Our response to being wronged by others and how we respond to it is a demonstration of what we believe about the gospel and what we have, how we have received Christ. It's a very tangible expression. Our ability, our willingness, particularly our willingness to forgive other people is a demonstration that do we really understand the gospel? 
Have we really responded to the gospel? And that's what Jesus is saying. To show mercy and forgiveness to those who offend us stems from our conviction that nothing that others can do to offend us can compare to our sin against God. A hundred denarii, 20 talents, 200,000 years, 100 days. That's the comparison Jesus made. That's the comparison Jesus made. Seven times or 77 times. Those are the comparisons that Jesus made. This is especially true when a a person offending us is a brother and sister in Christ. Graham Goldsworthy, an author, says this, to withhold forgiveness from somebody who offends us when we know they are forgiven and accepted by God in Christ is as, uh, as an almost blasphemous placing ourselves above God. When we refuse to give somebody that we know has been forgiven by God, we're saying, God, you could forgive them, but I'm higher you and I'm going to hold them to a higher standard. It's essentially, Goldsworthy saying, is blasphemy. You're saying you're bigger than God. We don't think of it that way. We think of it as being bigger than God. I want to go over a few other things. And so that's the urgency. That's the necessity of forgiveness. What is forgiveness not? Because a lot of you are racing through scenarios in your mind, in situations you're thinking of, and you're saying, yeah, I don't know here. I don't know if I can do this. Okay? Let me tell you what forgiveness is not to avoid some confusion. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. What I mean by that is restoring relationships. Somebody's harmed you and there's a break in relationship, and, you, and to bring those two back together, that is our goal. In the beginning of Matthew 18, that's what Jesus was addressing. That's called reconciliation. Forgiveness is a piece of that, but it's not the same. You can forgive somebody who has harmed you, but not be reconciled. Jesus is saying forgiveness is not optional. We should work towards reconciliation, but for, forgiveness is not optional. They're not the same thing. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Okay, the whole forgive and forget stuff is nonsense. If they've really hurt, hurt you, you, you don't forget. Okay, and, and it's also not pretending that it never happened. Well, I'll just pretend that it never happened. No, the harm happened. We need to acknowledge it. Forgiveness is not pretending. Forgiveness is not letting somebody avoid the consequences of their sin. If people have done, violated, broken the law or they have broken moral code, or they have done other things, they probably will have to suffer the consequences, whether it's jail time or, or any other n- number of things. They need to be confronted on the sin, and they need to repent of that sin and turn from it, and they may have to suffer consequences. Scripture has other things to say about that. That's not the same as forgiveness. We can forgive, and then they can suffer in their consequences. Forgiveness is not naively trusting somebody. Sometimes people resist because if I forgive them, I'm supposed to trust them. No, no. If they've been sinning against you frequently, you should not trust them. And you need to confront that sinful pattern, yes. But you can forgive the debt that they owe you of the harm, but don't, don't naively necessarily trust them. That's what forgiveness is not. Well, what is it? Before I move on that, all those things need to be dealt with at some time. All those things need to be dealt with, but... Forgiveness can be given independently of them. We can forgive without all those other things happening. We can still forgive other people. That's what I want to stress. Forgiveness is us to give. Whether or not somebody receives it, we do want them to receive it. We do want reconciliation. We do want restoration. We do want to be able to trust people and be close to them. We do want, and we should work towards those things, but forgiveness can be given independently of those and usually precedes all those. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness to forgive someone is to release that person from the liability to suffer punishment or penalty. 
To forgive, scripturally, is to release the person who harmed us from the liability to suffer punishment and penalty. In other words, it means to let go. To let go, to release that person from their debt. They harmed you, they have to pay a debt. We release them from that. It is also part of this, biblically, it's not just a release of debt, but it's also to bestow favor. It is to unconditionally... um, and they're undeserving, they unearned, they don't earn the forgiveness, they don't deserve our forgiveness, but they get it because we're blessing them. That's the way it is of the gospel. Forgiveness is not groundless. It's not, we, it's not just saying, well, I'll let it go randomly. No, it's because Christ died for his sins, we can let it go. I'll talk about that in a second. It's not groundless. It's not just a feeling. It's a decision we make to let go of them and say, they don't have to pay, I'm going to turn that over to God. I'm going to let that go. Now, and it's tied to the gospel. We see this in numerous places in the scripture. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about this. In Ephesians 4.32, Paul tells the Ephesians, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Paul tells the Colossians that we are to bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So Paul ties ties forgiveness with the gospel. Because we have received the gospel, we understand the gospel, the gospel gives us not only our own forgiveness, but gives us the ability to forgive other people. Well, how, how does that work? How does that happen? What does it mean to forgive? And I just want to walk through steps, because right now it's, okay, yeah, we're supposed to forgive. How do I do this? Somebody, so I want you to think about it. I want you to think about in your life. It could have been something that happened, a big event in your life. It could have been something that is uh, this week. It could have been family. It could have been coworker, classmate. It doesn't make a difference. Think of something that somebody harmed you in some way. That, so we, we, first of all, if we're going to extend forgiveness, we need to recognize right out the chute that there's been sin involved, that we've been harmed, we've been sinned against. It could be verbal, physical, financial, sexual, any number of ways that people harm us. We, first of all, we need to call it what it is. It is sin. It is a debt that must be paid. And we get angry, don't we? When somebody harms us, the natural response is anger. A flash of anger or consistent anger. We get angry. That in and of itself is not a bad thing. In and of itself, getting anger when somebody hurts, we should. It's injustice. It's sin. We, should get, we can get anger. Why? Because within us, being created in the image of God is a sense of justice. A sense of right and wrong. That's why all humans have a sense of what's right and wrong. Culturally, it might vary, but we all know that when something happens to us, something wells up inside us and says, somebody has to pay. They harmed me, they harmed my family, whatever. They have to pay. We want vengeance. We want payment. We don't want them off the hook. That is part of being created in the image of God. God is a God of justice. Justice will be served. So when the harm and sin happens, we need to recognize, you know what? I'm angry because justice must be served. That's the first part of all that, is the first part of giving somebody forgiveness. The second one part of this is we need to remind ourselves of the gospel. We need to remind who? Them? The people we want to talk to? No, we remind ourselves of the gospel. We preach the gospel to ourselves. We remind ourselves that we too are sinners. And you know something? 
Most of the time, I don't want to quantify, I don't want to count, because we don't supposed to count, but I don't want to quantify this, but many times when we sin, we sin against other people, don't we? We sin against, just like we're sinned against, we sin against other people. So reminding ourselves of the gospel is we too are sinners, saved solely and completely by the grace of God provided through us through death, Christ's death and resurrection. Christ paid the penalty for our sin. Christ paid the debt to God for our sin. Not just the sins theoretically, but the, when I really lash out in anger, when I hurt somebody, when I have done things that are wrong and unjust to somebody else, we call it sin, that penalty has been paid. I remind myself of my own forgiveness in that. And we also remind ourselves that God has freely given us many blessings and righteousness in Christ. Not only am I forgiven, we, um, Jesus not only died for our sins to take away the debt, but he also died to give us God, his righteousness. So we stand right with God. We're not just, it's, it's like the swap, the exchange, the great exchange of the cross. Isn't that the massive debt we owed, the gazillion dollars, if you want to do a monetary value, is removed? That's, that's great, by the way. But when we get Christ's righteousness, he adds a gazillion dollars in our savings account, if you will, our checking account. So every time we do sin, it's paid for, paid for, paid for, it's done. We, we need to remind ourselves of that. And we need to thank God for his blessings. Now we turn our minds to the other person. We remind ourselves that this very same gospel is for that person too. This very same gospel is for that person too. The person who's harmed us. They too are sinners. They too harm people. We shouldn't be surprised. It's not okay, but we shouldn't be surprised. They, too, are solely saved and completely by the grace and the provision of Christ's death and resurrection. Christ paid for the penalty for their sins, too. So he took away their gazillion debt, and he deposited a gazillion in their account, too. God freely gives us the, them the blessings he gave us, the righteousness. We thank God, we should thank God for the blessings he's given them. We acknowledge that sin, we remind ourselves of the gospel towards us, we remind ourselves of the gospel towards them. And then the actual event of forgiveness, we release them. We release them from the anger and judgment. When the anger wells up inside us, and there will be anger, we say, you know what, Lord? I'm giving it to you. The debt, the anger, the justice I feel, I can't abstract. I'm not, it's not my role. That's yours, God. So we, the word let go, I think, is the best word for forgiveness. It's let go. And I visually think through, when I struggle, and I do at times struggle with forgiving people, I, I visualize, because I, we're forgiven our heart, so I, I walk through this mostly mentally, not just physically, that I reach into my heart and take out the anger and the bitterness and the vengeance that I'm feeling, and I, and I reach it out to God, and I let it go. That, in my mind, that visual, God, I'm giving it to you, it's your problem. That's forgiveness. God, the justice that they deserve, I'm going to let you take care of. And I'm going to do it again and again. And then when we have opportunity, if and when we have opportunity, we respond to the other person in kindness and mercy. That's even harder than forgiving sometimes. Our response to them, like Christ is to us, we respond to them when we have opportunities in kindness and mercy. But what happens... What happens if they're not a Christian? 
What happens if they're not a Christian? All I went through there, reminding the gospel is true for them. That's for Christians. What if they're not a Christian? And, and non-Christians obviously do sin against us. Well, the response to that is really not a whole lot different. The, the, the recognizing it, walking through that, the gospel to ourselves, that's all the same. But when we get to that and, and we respond and say, okay, they're not a Christian. So the cross does not apply to them right now. If they're not Christians, then they're not forgiven their sins. So I guess it doesn't count. We don't need to forgive. No. For two reasons. One, justice, for both reasons, justice is still God's problem, not ours. One is, if that person's not a Christian now, but does become a Christian a year from now, 10 years from now, 30 years from now, it really is irrelevant. Then Christ's death on the cross paid for their sin, including their sin against me. So the same death on the cross paid for my sin pays for theirs. It might be applied at a different time and frame in our lives, but it's still the same. So the cross still applies to them if they become a Christian. What if they never become a Christian? What, is, what does the scripture say about that? What if they never become a Christian? Well, then justice is still God's problem. Because, because in God's view, that when he face, they face him in judgment day, that was the parable about the kingdom of heaven is an accounting, a judgment, then they are going to face the eternal judgment of God. Again, it's not our, our responsibility. So... Paul deals with this in Romans, in Romans 12, after he talks about worshiping God with your whole body and, and your mind. We talked about that a, a month ago. And he says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave, leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you, are, you will be reaping coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is the response to even forgiving non-Christians. One last comment about forgiveness. Forgiveness is both an event and a process. It's an event and a process. Somebody harms you. There is an event, a time, where you decide, I'm going to forgive them, and you let go of that justice. You walk through. They sin. I'm hurt. I'm angry. God, I remind myself of the gospel. For me, I remind it for them. Now I let go of that. There's there's a time where you need to say, this is when I did that. But you know what happens is sometimes we think about that. We see them. We interact with them. We remember what happened and what, what happens to us at that time. Everything is great and awesome and we're happy, right? No. You guys asleep? No. We get angry again. The the anger, well, the sense of justice swells up again. So what do we do? We let go. And we think of it again and we get angry. We let go. We let go. And in that way, forgiveness is a process. You know what eventually happens? The time between our remembering, the pain, it's minimal. It goes away. It depends on people and circumstances. But eventually, we've let go enough that we repel it when it comes. That's the goal of forgiveness, of feeling for them. As we wrap up now, I want you to think, are you hanging on to unforgiveness? Are you refusing to forgive someone? Jesus said that that's to refuse is to do so at great peril. Do you have a relationship with someone that is marred by conflict. Maybe, maybe it's not just one event. Maybe it's the relationship in general. 
And thought of forgiving them seems overwhelming. It could be from years ago. It could be from yesterday. It could be some traumatic event in your life. Or it could be from a lot of annoyances. It could be a one-time event or somebody a regular occurrence. It doesn't make a difference. Forgiveness still is to be extended. If we are to demonstrate the truth of the gospel in our lives, we are to extend forgiveness to others. We have, um, for you to think about that for your home communities and for the end of it, we have handouts in the back there as you go out to the left there. We have handouts for you to take home, talk with your spouse, talk with your family, talk with your home community about forgiveness itself and also this process. I want to remind you of this. I'm going to close with this two things. One is remind you, in the Lord's Prayer, it really, really has struck me recently, not just for this message, but recently, just working through the Lord's Prayer in my own life, that why did he have that line, forgive as we have also forgiven? God wants us, Christ wants us to regularly clean house. He doesn't want us to hang on to things or ignore things or be negligent with things. On a regular basis, as we converse with God, as we have talk, conversations with the Father, He wants us to clean house. What, I, what do I mean by that? He wants us to ask forgiveness. Lord, I haven't been walking in a way that's honoring to you, and maybe I should. I know I'm forgiven. I just want to ask you, get right with you in that sense. But He also wants us to let go of the unforgiveness, the anger, the bitterness we might have for other people. People will sin against us. Therefore, we will need to regularly and consistently forgive them. God's saying, if we're going to converse with the, Jesus is saying, if we're going to converse with the Father, this is a regular part of that conversation. God, I want to get right with you because I have, I have let go of that with other people. As a reminder of this, Jesus established communion. It's not the only reason he established it, but when we take communion every week, we do so to remind ourselves of the death and resurrection of Christ that his body was broken for us, his blood was spilled for us. We have the forgiveness of sins, not just our sins, but other people's sins. So as you come up and take communion, I want you to remind yourselves that you have been forgiven. And if there is somebody that you need to forgive, they also are forgiven in Christ also. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your many, many, many blessings. And Lord, I, we can't thank you enough for your generosity to us in Christ. That, in, that the debt that we owe because of our sin is forgiven completely. And not only that, you have restored to us your righteousness, or given to us your righteousness. We thank you for your generosity, the blessings... I pray, Lord, that the gospel, the message, the awesomeness of your generosity to us in Christ will be something that will permeate our hearts and minds and we will be conduits of that same love and mercy and grace to others even when they harm us. Lord, may we be a people of peacemakers, people of forgivers who can let go and hang on to the mercy and grace you provide for us in Christ. And we thank you and we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. 
If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.